Well, good people, how are you all doing? Um, I hope you're keeping well on this grey and rainy Monday morning. What you're listening to here is part two of the Fire Draw Near Wild Rover podcast. Now, I don't know how many different versions of the Wild Rover you've ever attempted to listen to in one sitting, but uh, suffice to say that this episode is not for the faint of heart, so please take care of yourselves out there. If you're into what I do in any way, please consider checking out my Patreon, where you can get full downloadable versions of some of the songs that were recorded for these episodes, as well as the monthly bonus show and downloadable versions of the regular monthly show. If you don't feel like doing any of that, then if you felt like sharing the show around on social media or even doing a review or any of those kind of things, it would all really mean a lot to me. Um, if you go to www.campsite.bio forward slash fire drawn air, you'll find links to absolutely everything I've done online so far. Okay, that's it for now. Uh, I'll chat to you all soon and enjoy. In the previous episode, we looked at the institution of the alehouse in early modern England, as well as the ballads which played such a big role in that culture. We saw how one particular ballad, written by a man called Thomas Lanfier, stemmed from this group of alehouse ballads, utilising tropes and motifs which were common to the genre. Today I want to look at this song and how it developed over the next 300 years in England, Scotland, North America and Australia, before reaching a stage in its evolution that millions of people all over the world recognise as the Wild Rover. I am Ian Lynch and this is part two of the Fire Draw Near Wild Rover podcast. The Goodfellows Resolution by Thomas Lanfier is quite a big song by today's standards. 13 verses long in fact. Narrated by the titular Bad Husband, the ballad tells how for years he has wasted away his money in the alehouse with other good fellows. In the end, he calls for the listener not to do the same as him and to make the most of what God has given them, to save up their money so as to enjoy it later in life. One might wonder why this, of all the alehouse ballads, was the one to survive. What was it about this particular ballad that resonated with people above all the others, 
Well, what this ballad did was subvert a motif, one which by this stage had also become very well known. In the bad husband type of alehouse ballad, the alewife could often be cast as an exploitative temptress, a calculating and avaricious villain who sought to entice the good fellow in order to divest him of his hard-earned money. In the song Two Penny Worth of Wit for a Penny, or The Bad Husband Turned Thrifty, she is depicted as slabbering and kissing. By your stairs she would be so merry with me When I call for the liquor and paid for it free And with slapping and kissing she pleased me to the life Thus I like a villain did wrong my poor wife While in the heavy heart and the light purse she entices one particular bad husband into her bed in all of these instances, she is portrayed as greedy and fickle. She is generous to those who have cash and are willing to spend it freely, but doesn't want to know them and refuses them credit when they fall on hard times. In one song, called The Alewives' Invitation to Married Men, she shifts from saying, Come when thou wilt, boy, thou art welcome to me, to, I'd not lend you a penny if it would save your life. In Lanfier's song, what changes is that the narrator gets the better of the alewife. By first pretending that he has no money and then only showing it to her after she has reacted coldly to him, he exposes her avarice. Such a satisfactory turning of the tables would have had widespread appeal to those already well versed in the common tropes and motifs of the alehouse ballad. Of the 13 verses in the Goodfellows Resolution, only verses 1, 8 and 9 went on to create the song that we now recognise as the Wild Rover. And for about 100 years after it was first printed in 1678, we have scant evidence for its existence. By the end of the 18th century though, we know it was being printed on broadside ballads in many different parts of the UK. Somewhere in the interim, the bad husband had been recast as the decidedly more romantic and desirable Wild Rover, another aspect which would have no doubt increased the widespread appeal of the song. If people had felt shame in seeing aspects of themselves in the bad husband character, they now had a hero that they could take pleasure in identifying with. Now, by this stage, the song was flourishing, and this is where things begin to get complicated. I have to give credit here to Brian Peters, who wrote the article, The Well-Travelled Wild Rover, where he did a great job of teasing out the different strands of this often complex story. The article identifies how by the turn of the 19th century, two distinct strains of the ballads were emerging. Type A which was associated with printers from around the London area, and Type B, which was more typical from printers further north. Both of these songs use the three verses from Lanfier's ballad, as well as a couple of new verses, in order to create 
a new five or six verse version. One interesting fact about ballad sheets was that they were not aimed at a musically literate populace, so it should come as no surprise that musical notation was never printed on the ballads themselves. The closest that we get was the title of a tune that the given ballad was to be sung to, and quite often these are just as obscure as the songs printed on the sheet and have also been forgotten over time. In any examples of the Wild Rover that I have seen printed on ballad sheets, no such tunes are given. But we do have one quite early example of a tune that was married to the song. This comes from the personal songbook of Thomas Hardy Sr, father of the famous writer and poet. According to Peters, the tune is striking in its similarity to a version collected and recorded by A. L. Lloyd in New South Wales, 1929. I've been a wild rover for a number of years I've spent total me money on whiskey and beer Now I'll save up me wages, keep money in store And I never will play the wild rover no more Wild rover, wild rover, wild rover no more and I never will play the wild roving no more. Apart from Thomas Hardy's written version, we don't really get examples of melodies for the song until it started coming to the attention of song collectors making field recordings in the 20th century. One well-known English version was the one that renowned singer Sam Larner of Winterton, Norfolk sang to Ewan McCall and Peggy Seeger in 1958. This recording has been hailed by some as the one that gave rise to the Dubliner's famous version. While this is not 100% true, it did have an indirect bearing, as we shall see in the next episode. You can hear, however, that not only are the words different, but so is the melody, being the one more usually associated with the English traditional song, If I Were a Blackbird. I've been a wild rover for many long years I've spent all my money on wine, ale and beer Now to give up all roving Put my money in store And now will I play the wild rover No more Nay, no, never Never, no more now will I play the wild rover no more. I went into an alehouse where I used to frequent and told the landlady my money was all spent. I called for a pint, but she says to me, Nay, such customer as you I can meet every day nay no never never no more now will i play the wild rover no more i put my hand in my pocket drew handfuls of gold 
And on the round table it glittered and rolled. Now here's my best brandies, my whiskey and all. Be gone, landlady, I'll have not at all. Nay, no, never, never no more. Now will I play the wild rover no more. I'll go home to my parents, tell them what I've done, and ask to give pardon to a prodigal son. And if they forgive me, which they've done times before, then ne'er will I play the wild rover no more. Nay, no, never, never no more. Ne'er will I play the wild rover no more. Before we move away from the situation in England, I want to look at one more very interesting field recording. This was made in a pub in Malton, North Yorkshire in 1972 by singer and song collector Steve Gardham. While recording the Wild Rover from one singer, there appears to be some very obvious disagreement over the tune that the song should be sung to. One singer starts off by singing the version associated with the Dubliners before being taken over by another singer by the name of Jim Barron. It's interesting to see that in the north of England, even by the 1970s, people were still clinging on, almost stubbornly, to their own localised versions of the song, holding out against an ever-encroaching hegemony, which would one day all but extinguish the lesser-known variants. For these long years, for these long years, for these long years, I spent all my money in whiskey and beer. I'll go to my father as a prodigal son, and if he forgives me, as of times have done, I'll never will play the wild rover no more. Nay, no, never, never, nay, never, no Further north in Scotland, the song was also well known, and the Roud Folk Song Index tells us that it was noted 12 times by various song collectors in the 20th century. Jimmy Macbeth of Portsoy, Banffshire, sang the song for Hamish Henderson in 1952, and the air that he sang it to is more or less typical of the Scottish versions. I've been a wild rover for many a year. I spilt all my money in whiskey and beer. But now I'll give over, put my money in store, and I'll be a wild rover 
no never no more no ne never ne never no more i'll be a wild rover no never no more i went into a nail house for half times a quint and i asked the landlady my money was spent i asked for a glass and she answered me no we've got good customers like you every day no ne never ne never no more i'll be a wild rover no never no more despite the fact that the wild rover was printed in songbooks in north america from the middle of the 19th century it's only been collected in the field a small number of times. Alan Lomax recorded the following version from Bill McBride in Michigan in August 1938, and we can plainly hear that the melody is very similar to that which was sung by Sam Larner 20 years later. But now I will lay up my money in store. I never will play the wild rover no more. Wild rover, wild rover, wild rover no more. I never will play the wild rover no more. Oh, I went to a tavern. A common feature of the North American versions is that they all seem to follow the Type A broadside ballad from England quite closely. Although McBride doesn't sing it here, there is also a final verse that seems to be only found in North America. We can hear it sung here by Paul Clayton on his 1956 LP, Folk Songs and Ballads of Virginia. I now am resolved for my future life To settle myself and to marry a wife And we'll keep the ravenous wolves from the door For I never will be a wild rover no more Wild rover, wild rover, wild rover no more For I never will be a wild rover no more Interestingly, Australia seems to have been where the song really flourished. A.L. Lloyd noted that it appeared to have survived better in Australia than in the country of its origin. And he said that in the 20s, he had heard it sung to two or three different melodies. It appears in almost every folk song collection, where the character of the Wild Rover fits in snugly amongst the outlaw folk heroes and rough living swagmen of Australian settler folklore. Although it wasn't collected before the 20th century, we do get glimpses of the fact that it was widely known. For example, there are records of it being sung at Masonic lodges and at temperance meetings. And there's even records of a prize bull who was named Wild Rover. It was also referenced in the farewell note of a prisoner, 
prior to his execution in New South Wales in 1889. 10 o'clock. Poor old Boxer goes to drop. So goodbye and good luck to you. I have been a wild rover, but I'll be so no more. As A.L. Lloyd mentioned, there were a number of distinct versions that came to prominence in Australia, and this was most likely due to the fact that the song had made its way over there on at least three separate occasions. The first time the song appeared in print was in A.B. Banjo Patterson's 1924 publication, Old Bush Songs. In 1941, country and western star Tex Morton sang this version to a melody borrowed from the well-known cowboy song, the Strawberry Roan. It subsequently made its way into the oral tradition, and there are several collected versions which obviously stem from this recording. Oh, I've been a wild rover this many a year. And I've spent all my money on whiskey and beer But now I'm returning with gold and great store And I never shall play the wild rover no more It's no, no, never, never no more I never, never, never shall play the wild rover no more I dropped into a shanty I used to frequent and I told the landlady my money was spent I asked her for credit she answered me nay such custom as yours I can have every day so we have already heard a clip of A.L. Lloyd's Wild Rover which he collected in New South Wales in 1929 but there was also another strand of the song in Australia and this was collected by John Meredith in Sydney in 1955. The singer's name was Edwin Goodwin and the first verse and melody are striking in their similarity to a version usually found much closer to home. I've been a wild rover for many long years And I've spent all my money in whiskey and beer But the time now is approaching, I must take care For fear that misfortune should fall to my share Wilder roving, bolder roving, wilder roving give o'er For I ne'er shall be a wilder rover no more There is one more substantial piece of the puzzle in the Australian situation though. In 1942, the Sun News Pictorial newspaper in Melbourne published an appeal looking for Australian folk songs for women's choir and the words to a song, Wild Rover No More, were among the many that were sent in from a reader identified only by the initials R.P. The drive for folk songs had been spearheaded by the Reverend Dr. Percy Jones of the Melbourne Conservatory of Music, and in 1952 he was contacted by none other than Burr Lives, who was looking for Australian songs for an upcoming tour. 
The material proved to be such a hit with the Australian public that Eyes recorded many of them on his 1959 LP, Australian Folk Songs. And with pride of place as the first track, was Wild Rover No More. A blurb on the LP claimed, They say in Australia that Mr. Ives' triumphant tour was the beginning of a revival of long overdue interest in Australian historical song research. Whether Mr. Ives began or was only a catalyst to the revival of interest in Australian folk songs, it is now a fact that after Mr. Ives left Australia, there was a revival of folk song interest that parallels our revival here in the United States. This is not just empty publicity, and the combination of the tour, the LP and the connected book had such a massive impact that by the 1960s, versions of this Wild Rover were being collected in New South Wales and Queensland. The words to this version, as well as Tex Morton's, follow those printed in A.B. Banjo Patterson's 1924 songbook very closely and had obviously come from the same source. The alehouse that had been the centre of the action since the good fellow first saw the error of his ways in 17th century England had become a shanty, while the handfuls of gold had become sovereigns bright. Not only that, but the triumphant rover now returned home with gold in great store. Here again, we find the song being updated much in the same way as it had before at certain key points. Just as the shift from victimhood to victor and from the bad husband to the wild rover had managed to resonate with people in the past and ensure the song's popularity, the motif of the prodigal son somehow returning home in a financially secure state despite all of the drinking that he has done could only have furthered this popularity. This particular Australian strand of the song starts to lead us very close to the one that Lou Kelly would record just five years later. I've been a wild rover this many a year And I spent all my money on whiskey and beer But now I'm returning with gold in great store And I never shall play the wild rover no more no, no, never, never, no more I never shall play the Wild Rover no more I dropped into a shanty I used to frequent And I told the landlady my money was spent I asked her for credit, she answered me nay such a custom as yours I can get every day No, no, never, never, no more I never shall play the Wild Rover no more Then I drew from my pocket tin sovereigns bright And the landlady's eyes opened wide with delight she said, I have whiskey and wines of the best And the words that I told you were only in jest No, no, never, never, no more I never shall play the Wild Rover no more I'll go home to my parents, confess what I've done and I'll ask them to pardon their prodigal son 
And if they will do so as often before, I never shall play the wild rover no more. No, no, never, never no more. I never shall play the wild rover no more. Performers on this episode, in order of appearance, were Marshall Morris, the Travelling Woodsman of the Fosway, Cormac McDermott, Paul Denman, Beanie Entwistle, Mark Jennings, and the one and only, Liam Krill. And again, I'm very, very grateful to all of them. Thanks also to Steve Gardham, who very kindly gave me permission to use his 1972 field recording of Jim Barron. But most of all, I would like to thank Brian Peters, who's been very gracious about the fact that this podcast is heavily based on his essay, The Well-Travelled Wild Rover, the result of some very deep and meticulous research. I am Ian Lynch, and this has been part two of the Fire Draw Near Wild Rover podcast.